0: Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews the 11th chapter, and we want to continue talking about the faith of some of the great uh, men of faith in, of course, they'll include some of the women of faith as well in this chapter, but uh, thus far we've been looking at a number of these uh, folks here in the faith chapter. And uh, we've seen the faith of Abel. It's the way of faith. We've seen the faith of Enoch. It's the walk of faith. The faith of Noah. The witness of faith. The faith of Abraham. The worship of faith. The faith of Isaac. The willingness of faith. The faith of Jacob. The work of faith. The faith of Joseph. The wonder of faith. Uh, the faith of Moses. The worthiness of faith. Now, we come to a brief account of another man of faith, and that's found in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30. And here we find it just says uh, very simply, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. Hmm. Doesn't even mention Joshua, does it? But we know he was there. Okay. Man of faith, that's Joshua. And we're here going to see the watch of faith, the watch of faith. Now, if you had met Joshua about the fifth day that they were marching around the city of Jericho, you might have said to him, well, it doesn't look like you're getting very far. Why are you doing such a foolish thing? You're a general with a whole lot of intelligence, but you're not using your intelligence. No doubt some of us would have said, maybe this is ridiculous. I'm not going to stand around here and watch this. This isn't going anywhere. We might even said, this is stupid. Just walking and walking and walking around Jericho day after day. But Joshua would have said to you, you've forgotten that I saw the captain of the host of the Lord, and he told me that headquarters is not my tent but headquarters is in heaven. And I found out that I'm not the general. I happen to be a lowly private in the rear ranks and I am to take orders from him. He said to march around the city and I'm marching around this city. You just watch. These walls are going to come down because I'm following the plan of someone who knows. Now, I want you to get the picture here Moses, whom we determined in our last message in Hebrews, was one of history's great spiritual giants. But he had just died. God had called and commissioned Joshua to replace him, assured him that he had been with his predecessor, and so he was going to be with him as well. And we see the guarantee of that in Joshua Chapter 1 and verse 5. If you hold your place there uh, and want to go back to the book of Joshua and verse 5, we notice there it says, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. <clears throat> Now, that should be sufficient assurance for anyone. And the Lord had revealed to Joshua the divine secret of success which had worked so well for Moses. Now look on in Joshua 1 and verse 7. He says, Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it, To the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper, whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. To sum it up, he was to meditate on the word of God, And then obey it. Joshua gave the command immediately to ready both people and possessions for the crossing of Jordan and the entering of the promised land. And the proper response to faith is always immediate. Action is the only virtue that suits trust. Now we keep coming back to that concept, don't we? Those who believe God obey God. Now, in the case of Joshua and the children of Israel, they prepared for prompt and swift action, even though the Jordan was considerable or considered impassable at that time. And the Bible says, For the Jordan overflowed all his banks all the time of harvest, and it would take a miracle for them to uh, in those circumstances, and well, God has miracles available to accommodate his orders. Now, if you go back and to the book of Numbers and you remember there Two spies were sent, in contrast to the twelve that Moses had sent 40 years earlier, and they were given these instructions, Joshua chapter 2 and verse 1, Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into the harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. Go view the land. Now remember the spies in Numbers that Moses had sent there were to see if the land was good or bad. What the people were like. Were they strong or weak? Were they few or many? And where did they live? Did they live in tents or in strong holds? These men sent by Joshua were merely to view the land. The word carries the idea of exploring, and we're to assume they were kind of to make maps, perhaps, or chart some strongholds, otherwise, lay the groundwork for a full assault by the entire Israeli uh, Israelite army. It was strictly a fact-finding mission, not to see how strong the people were, or how good they were, or how uh, how fast they were, how big they were. Now. If we look at the life of Rahab, and we'll look at her in our next message, the Lord willing, but you remember these spies stopped at her home, and when the king of Jericho learned the men were in the city, he sent soldiers to her, demanding that uh, she surrender them. Instead, she hid them under the stalks of flax on her roof, and then later lowered them down from the wall through the window under the cover of darkness. And when these spies returned, They told Joshua, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, even all the inhabitants of the country, do faint because of us. You see, Joshua and his followers swung into action. Taking three days to get a formation, Joshua instructed the priest to lead the way with the Ark of the Covenant, and when they arrived on the banks of the Flood-swollen, raging Jordan. He instructed these priests to walk out into the river, carrying the precious ark of God, and then they were to stand still. Turn to uh, chapter 3 of Joshua and look at verse 15. Joshua 3.15 says, Then, uh, this is uh, 3.15, excuse me. As they that bear the ark were come in unto Jordan... And the feet of the priests that bare the ark were dipped in the brim of the water. The Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest. That the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city of Adam. And is beside Zaratan, And those came down toward the sea of the plain. Even the salt sea failed. And were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priest that bare the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until the people were passed clean over Jordan. Now, why did God provide a miracle for them? Well, the answer is in chapter 4 and verse 23. In chapter 4, verse 23, it says, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until ye were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we had were gone all over, and that all the people of the earth might know. And here's the answer why he did it. That all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord that is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord... For God forever. Why did God perform or provide this miracle? That all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord that is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. So the story of faith in the conquest of Jericho and true faith anywhere could be put into three words. Those three words are call, compliance, and conquest. The foundation, the fulfillment, and the fruit of such faith can be seen in the case of Joshua and with sinners of every age and even Christians today. So we're going to look at the faith of Joshua and how it applies to us uh, today. And So first of all, we find the foundation of faith. The foundation of faith, and this is the call of God. Since spiritual faith rests entirely upon the word of God, unless he speaks, there will uh, will not, there cannot be, faith. His faith, or his speaking, is what we refer to as his call. It's not only a call in salvation, but there's a call in relationship to service. Now, in the case of Joshua, there was, of course, Joshua's original call by God, his initial commission, to be the visible leader of a chosen people. It was simple. It was to the point. And you go back in verse uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, which we read, There shall not be any man stand before thee. Uh, We read verses 7 and 8, but in verse 9, he said, Have I not commanded thee? Be strong, and be of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. There was a divine guarantee sufficient for Joshua to meet any circumstance, face any condition, master any problem, undergo any trial and testing. His call was reinforced by the appearance of the true commander-in-chief of the expedition into Canaan, the captain of the Lord's host. And he manifested himself to Joshua after they crossed the flooded river. And that record is in chapter 5, beginning in verse 13 chapter 5, verse 13 says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord, am I come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. There was the call from the commander-in-chief, the captain of the Lord's host. Now, this was following the detailed instructions... Or this was followed by detailed instructions in chapter six, and then verses two through five. Said, "And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given unto thy hand Jericho and the king thereof, and mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once." Thus thou shalt do six days, and seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns, and the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets, and it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend by up every man straight before him. Absolutely no room for doubt there. Although it might have been considered foolish by some, the instructions were plain. And the call was equally clear. Now, that's in the case of Joshua. Now, in the case of the sinner, there is no doubt what God wants the unsaved to do either. How he wants them to do it. You know, we call that invitations. There are some invitations in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In Isaiah 1, in verse 18, it says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be wool. That's an invitation. Come in Matthew eleven, twenty eight to thirty there's an invitation that says, Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's an invitation. There's an invitation in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In John 5, in verse 24, there's an invitation, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. And then in Revelation 22 and verse 17, there's an invitation, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come, and let him that is athirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. These are invitations from God, and they're obviously for everyone, no matter how steeped in sin or how despairing the soul, the only requirement is to honestly desire forgiveness in God's so great salvation that we studied back in Hebrews chapter 2. We call those invitations. Now, we also call them warnings, interspersed with invitations throughout the Word of God. There are some clear proclamations of things that will happen if these invitations are unheeded. For example, Psalm 9 and verse 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. In John chapter 3, after the invitation in verse 16, in verse 18 it says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Those are warnings. And then Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11 And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was no found no place for them. And I saw the dead small and great stand before the Lord and the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Those are pretty clear warnings, aren't they? As the Lord's blueprint for success for Joshua, God's instruction for redemption may seem foolishness to some people. Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Is it foolishness? Well Paul wrote back in 1 Corinthians 1 18 for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness but unto us which are saved it is the power of God and then in verse 25 because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men see the call of God is not only for Joshua but the call of God is for sinners and then I want you to notice, thirdly, the call of God is uh, for Christians as well. In the case of Christians, we call these promises. Promises. Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Isaiah 40, verse 28 through 31, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that everlasting God the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up as, with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What wonderful promises those are. What about Romans 8? Romans eight thirty one says, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? In verse 35, Who can separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are precious promises. And they are the call of God To the Christian to go forward, to conquer strongholds, to emerge victorious at all times in their spiritual warfare against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And if the walls of Jericho could fall flat for Joshua, there's no problem with victory in the life of a modern follower of Jesus Christ. You don't have a problem that God can't deal with. You think, well, you don't know my problem. God knows, and He's able. So we have the foundation of faith is the call of God. Secondly, we have the fulfillment of faith, which is the compliance of obedience. Faith is willing to face the call of God, accept His conditions. And what are these conditions? Obedience. You say, Pastor, you keep talking about obedience, obedience, obedience. Obey, obey, obey. Did you know why I keep bringing this up? It's because God keeps talking about it. I'm just preaching the word of God. And if God is interested in obedience, then we ought to be interested in it as well. Now let's see how this works out in these three areas again. First, in the case of Joshua, the record of his action is in Joshua chapter 6. And we won't take time to read it, but it's verses 6 through 20. Because we've already given the call and God's servant did not deviate in any shape, form, or manner from it. Joshua did exactly what God told him to do. The priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the seven other priests blowing the ram's horn trumpets continually, the warriors armed for the war, the rest of the Israelites following in this giant parade, marching around Jericho once daily for six straight days. And on the seventh day, they rose at dawn and did the same. And although this time they marched around Jericho seven times, they had step counters, they would have gotten their steps in that day, right? For you don't have step counters, that's that's kind of a modern way of keeping track of how much exercise you do during the day. Well, they got their steps in that day, didn't they? Seven times around Jericho. The end of the final circuit, Joshua told the people, proclaim the victor's cry, shout for the Lord has given you the city. Now the unspiritual of that day would have thought Joshua was a lunatic. They would have thought he was a raving madman. And wouldn't the fighting men of Jericho have rolled on the floor in hysterics had they known in advance his plan? They would have responded as did Jews' enemies in Nehemiah's day. Remember in Nehemiah's day and in Nehemiah four and verse two it says, And he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in the day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which burned? Now Tobias Tobiah the Ammonite was by him and said, even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall break down that stone wall. Can you imagine what a field day the media would have had that day? They would have enjoyed that if that taken place today. CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox, CNN, all of them. They would have been there. They would have filmed it live from the top of the walls and from the Goodyear blimp and probably obtaining interviews with selected inhabitants of the city who would say what they wanted to hear. You know, they'd tape it for editing, of course. No doubt they would have interviewed the cities of Jericho and asked them, how does that make you feel? I mean, that's always the question they ask. How do you feel about this? How does it make you feel to have the Israelites marching around your city? They would have interviewed the Israelites and asked them, how does it make you feel to march around the city? Don't you feel stupid? Don't you feel guilty? And on and on they would go. And the mayor and the members of the city council would all be interviewed and attempts unsuccessfully would be made to feature General Joshua and some of his officers. And it would have been a ride of entertainment To the worldly wise who sneered at those daring to believe God. Now, here's something to remember ridicule doesn't divert faith. If you have faith, ridicule will not divert your faith, it will not thwart the work that you're doing for God. It didn't thwart Nehemiah and his followers. It didn't detour Joshua and the Israelites who had just entered Canaan, nor will it stop the child of God who enters into the 21st century walking by faith. Not only did Joshua obey in faith, he obeyed as faith always should exactly what God had told him. Everything that God had said to do, he did it. He didn't say, well, you know, I don't think, God, this is going to work quite well like you think it will i'm going to just alter the plan a little bit no he did it exactly like god told him to do it he wasn't like king saul if you remember the incident in first samuel 15 his obedience to god's instructions were only partial He had been told by God's prophet Samuel, Now you go and you smite Amalek and you utterly destroy all that they have. Spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And yet when Samuel faced him afterward in his incomplete obedience and his stubborn rebelliousness, he blamed the people for taking of the spoil to sacrifice unto the Lord admitting that he himself had permitted King Agag to live. It was then that Samuel uttered his timely, oft quoted words of rebuke, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken unto the fat of the rams. This is an important principle for every Christian. We need to understand it, and we need to live by it. Joshua and his men did not divert, did not swerve from God's instructions in the slightest. They had been told to shout, nor make any noise, or they had been told not to shout, or make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth, until the day I bid you to shout. There was not... To be kind of a practice shout? (laughs) Or maybe a sample shout? No, they followed God's plan exactly. It's important to notice there is no shortcut route to victory. There is no better way than the one God has revealed. But then look at the case of the sinner. Faith on the part of the unsaved is not limited to obedience when the sinner asks, What must I do to be saved? the answer is very clear. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. There's no other advice nor other teaching on the subject. These instructions for salvation are to be obeyed exactly. It's not faith plus something else, but by grace alone, through faith alone. It's not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized. It's not, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be christened or confirmed. It's not, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and obey the Ten Commandments. It's not, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and live a good life. It's not, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and hold out faithful to the end. No. It's simply and only, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's why the faith that saves is a faith that includes repentance. Is that all? That is all. Its simplicity has often been the object of much ridicule by those who are unsaved. Paul noted them. To them, such a plan of redemption is foolishness. And yet, however does... That, however, does not stop the individual sincerely wanting redemption. And by faith, he or she steps out to claim it forever. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the case of the sinner. But then in the case of the Christian, what does faith do in the life of a believer when God calls? He obeys. In fact, it is only possible for a believer to walk with God in accordance to the measure of his or her faith. How far does faith go? Only as far as an individual's obedience to God and God's will and his word. That's why most Christians never make any spiritual mountains. Their faith is only a molehill of sand or thanks to the lack of obedience to their in their lives. Paul said, "I believe God in Acts 27. And although he was speaking there about a particular incident, it was a philosophy that governed his entire life and a service. Do you believe God? He believed God. You take a look at his life and you discovered how much he accomplished for God because he believed God. Faith works. And that leads us to our final thought about faith on the Jericho Road. Here. Going around Jericho, the foundation of faith is the call of God, the fulfillment of faith is the fulfill, uh, compliance or, of, of obedience, and the fruit of faith is the conquest of the enemy. Again, we look at these same three groups, see what happens to the call of God when obedience of an individual steps out in faith. Notice first in the case of Joshua, how did his faith and obedience fare? In the matter of Jericho, the word tells us in Joshua 6.20 that the wall fell flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noise throughout all the country. Why is faith unbeatable? Because it has God on its side. We sang this. Evening. Who is on the Lord's side? God performed a tremendous miracle that day for Joshua and for Israel. They accomplished a similar feat two centuries later for Gideon. And you see, God's children, while walking by faith, could not lose. Now, if in the case of the sinner, what happens the moment that a sinner uh, puts their faith in the Son of God for salvation? Again, to quote John chapter 3, He that believeth is not condemned. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Or as Romans 8 and verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There's a great hymn that says, Now are we free? There's no condemnation. Jesus provides a perfect salvation. Come unto me, oh hear his sweet call. Come and he saves us once for all. As Jesus said of his own ministry in John 8, 36, If a a son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Faith is the victory. Now in the case of the Christian, and there's Here's how John pictures it in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4 and 5. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? What faith can do in a believer's life staggers the imagination. Our Lord assured us, are assured his disciples, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall be removed. Nothing shall be impossible unto you. Paul expressed it in his case: I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And so, faith is the only possible force behind spiritual conquest. Rationalism, in the case of Joshua at Jericho, for example, would have scoffed at such a method as he employed uh, to, be un, uh, to be employed under God's direction. But rationalism would have won the day at Jericho, nor would rationalism help the bumblebee fly. Theoretically, shape and weight of a body was, is too great for its Wings. But it flies anyway, because that's what God designed it to do. And it obeys the Creator. Let me ask you this evening, how is your faith? Are you causing any of the enemy's walls to topple over? Well, why not? Doesn't Elijah's God, doesn't Joshua's God still live today? Of course he does. He's merely waiting... To be believed and for his followers to step out on his word of faith. I wonder, will you be one who does? Perhaps you're here this evening and you need to trust Christ as your personal Savior. Probably not the case for a Sunday evening crowd, but it's possible. Maybe there's a young person here tonight who's never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You need to come and receive Christ as your Savior by faith. How about you, Christian? Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created unto, uh, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them? Are you living by faith and demonstrating the good works that God has saved you for? Are you faithful? Faithful to your Bible reading, in your prayer time, to the preaching services of this church and to your testimony before others? The obedience of faith, that's what God wants. And that's what God expects of each one of us this evening. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you